so welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, with us back for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into our interview with Darius Johnston. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Always like being here. Dick, I got a few leadership questions for you today. First one is, how do you know if you're ready for leadership? You know, I I think the simplest definition, there are several simple definitions of leadership, but one of them is influence, okay? And whether you know you're leading or not, depending on your uh, values, your moral character, you are leading. Mm. Uh, I think sometimes we think of leadership as a formal role. My experience with leadership is that it tends to be more informal Mm. and that Everybody leads somebody somewhere along the line. Now, that may be an overstatement, but not by much. So I'm always leading somewhere and yeah. someone. And but, but leadership exudes from a person, comes from a person who, who knows what they believe and in, in our understanding in whom they believe. Yeah. And that everything follows from that. Uh, the question was, how do you know if you're ready for leadership? Um, if leadership is a goal, then that's another question, perhaps for another time. Yeah. But I would say when you're put in a situation where leadership is expected, hmm. um, whether it's being an aide to somebody in a class, being somebody's assistant when they're coaching a soccer game. I mean, you can think of a hundred different ways in which people are nurtured, trained, and they end up leading when they don't know they're leading. For example, uh, you know, I, when I was in that British boarding school back when I was a kid in the late forties, my mom said they skipped me a grade. I was I was four when I started, and apparently I was outstanding in kindergarten. And they gave <laughs> me a grade. And my mom said, as soon as they did that, uh, I started stuttering. And so from age five to to around age twenty eight, I was a stutterer, a severe stutterer sometimes. And now, even when I'm tired now, I'll sometimes stutter. But I had a fellow come to me when I was uh, a senior in college. And he was he was doing a thing called a graduation gala in the East Bay of California, across from San Francisco, and said, we'd like you to be MC for this. And I was a stutterer. And I'm saying, really, I, you know, I, I stutter. I don't know if, if you want to. He said, you know, you can do this, Dick. And, and I've seen you in other settings, and it'll be all right. You can do it. And, and I was scared. Yeah. But I stepped into it, and I could do it. I didn't know I could do it. And it wasn't that I didn't stutter at all. It was that it didn't dominate my world in that moment. Mm-hmm. And so th- that was one point. A more recent thing of this, and those of you around the world who think football is soccer, you're right. You know, <laughs> I, I, I will give you that. That sport is way more than this boring game called American football, sure. where you stop every 12 seconds. But um, recently, just this just in this month in which we're recording this, um, we've had this phenomenon with San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And I'm an Oakland guy, but there weren't Oakland Raiders when I grew up. They didn't exist. And so the Niners are my, and, and they, 
they had a couple of quarterbacks go down. The, the guy who's the point person, the person who leads the charge, sure. that they count on, and they and they put in their third string guy who was called Mister Irrelevant because out of two hundred and twenty two or thirty two folks drafted this past year in the NFL draft, football league draft, he was the last guy. Yeah, and they had him and they put him in, and he was a star. Hmm. He he helped them win the seven next games until the the championship when he got hurt and he went down and they lost that game. But he had been a leader before in a different setting. He had played four years in college at Iowa state, but it's probably the greatest uh, example of you lead when you're put in a situation where you have to. Yeah. It's a good word. Good word. Brock Purdy. Yeah. West, you know, I'm a West Virginia Mountaineer fan and we, uh, we had he, he whipped you boys. Didn't oh, they? Didn't you we had we had many tears shed. You have to have a hot pain tolerance to be a West Virginia Mountaineer fan, and and Brock Purdy uh, he helped us with that. Uh, helped us cry was, a few tears. He was, he was Iowa State, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He was. Yeah. He was a phenomenal quarterback there too. So, Dick, the second I question. Think, I also I also think just in passing, he, he's a brother. Yeah, you know, yeah. This Jesus we talk about, he gets yeah. it. Yeah, it's good. Good. Dick, second question. Um, how do you break out of the comfortability or being comfortable um, being a follower only rather than leading? Again, that's an interesting way to phrase a question. Hmm. Um, it is comfortable to follow because I don't have to make those decisions. Sure. And, and there are numbers of enterprises. Most, most, most of us find ourselves in places where we don't have to have the ultimate decision. I don't think that we ever do break out Hmm. of the comfort of following. I think we need places in our lives where we, where we both lead and follow. They may be in different settings, sure, but I can lead over here, but I follow over there and it's good. I think we're built for that. Um, I have a friend who, who was in the president's cabinet back in the George W. Bush days. And, uh, I asked him, I said, so how does it, how does it feel to be lead, be lead dog with a, a budget that's billions of dollars and you have 150,000 employees? And, and, and his comment was, um, we all follow someone, Dick. We all have responsibilities, someone above us yeah. in the pecking order, whatever, ultimately that would be God. But, and, and I, I would like to suggest on the, on the following piece, again, um, that not all people are Moseses. There are very few Moseses, real Moseses. Sure. But uh, Aaron and her and Miriam, family members, yeah. what a huge part they played. My role when I was a pastor and college president was I was Moses, small M, small pawn. Hmm. But when I went to Washington, D.C., there are a gazillion Moseses or wannabes. <laughs> I became an Aaron and a her to other people's Moses. And it's a wonderful place to be because hmm. there's a sense in which when you're a follower in a close relationship, coming back to the intimacy point, sure. to someone who has the full responsibility, you have a share in leading in a different way. Wow, that's good. And so it isn't either or. It's yeah. both and, different spaces, different times, uh, different levels. Yeah, good word. Good word. Dick, always appreciate hanging out with you and learning from you. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview on leadership transitions. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. (laughs) 
Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here with a friend, Pastor Darius Johnston. Pastor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here, man. I've looked forward to this. Darius, will you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself? You and I got to sit beside each other in a meeting in Idaho, got to have some good good food together in in Ketchum also, and um, I've gotten to know you and your wife. But will you share a little bit about yourself for the audience that maybe didn't have that opportunity? Sure. A brief part of the story. Let's see. I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, My father was actually bivocational, so he was a church planter and took over churches that nobody else wanted. So... uh, uh, I was I was raised in small churches. When they got to be a hundred, I thought they were really big. Uh, usually, somewhere around the one twenty so or, or so, Dad would uh, pass it off to somebody else, and we'd start all over again. Wow. Uh, so that was that was kind of his gifting. God blessed him with an entrepreneur spirit, so he he had a great business sense and established a uh, very successful business that supported our family. And uh, but we always had a heart for missions. Missions, uh, in fact. I was raised missionary stayed in our home a lot. Uh, they were my heroes as a kid growing up. Uh, uh, when as late teens, I felt God calling me into ministry. I struggled with that because I was a little concerned. It was too easy. You know, your dad being in ministry, then you feel like, okay. <laughs> uh, but the Lord, uh, my senior year of high school, the Lord really confirmed that in a very unique way. Uh, that ministry was where I was supposed to be. And so I went off to Bible school. Uh, one of my favorite professors in Bible school was Hugh Jeter. Uh, he was my missions professor. And uh, man, that guy, uh, out of all of my professors, the reason that I loved him the most was because he didn't just teach out of a book. Uh, most of my professors were teaching out of somebody else's book because yeah. in those days, uh, uh, education was not real high on the value list. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, uh, there were those who actually preached that uh, they were afraid if you got an education, you would lose your zeal and your anointing. <laughs> so, but Hugh Jeter, uh, man, had such a passion for missions because he had been a missionary for a number of years himself. He poured that into his students. He poured it into his own kids and grandkids. I mean, many of them are serving today in various parts of the world and uh, a testimony to him. And so that heart was put in there really early. Uh, I knew in my heart uh, that pastoring was where I wanted to go. Uh, I think God wires us with a certain thing that if we if we take time to look at it, we go, OK, you know, I, I spent a few years as an evangelist. Uh, I, I spent my first five and a half years working in a local church doing everything. It was an amazing church. It was about 400 people when I first got there. And in five and a half years, it grew to over 1,200. Uh, was considered a mega church and, you know, had lots of. And I was over the youth department, junior high, high school, college. I was over uh, bus ministry. I was a wow. part of the television ministry. I just loved it. Seven days a week, pouring myself in there. I was shocked that someone would pay me to be in there. <laughs> So, but it was a great learning tool. I learned more in those five and a half years than I learned four years in Bible school, sure. you know, uh, because it was the practical ministry. Yeah. And I knew then that I loved working with people. I loved seeing people grow. Uh, after that, I was in advances for about two and a half years or so. Uh, that was great seeing all the different ways that the kingdom of God works. That helped yeah. me to see that there's not one formula but that the kingdom of God works in a wide variety of ways and a mm. wide variety of cultures and people. 
And uh, so that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, it also helped me learn how to preach better, uh, <laughs> learn how to give an invitation, uh, loved those occasions. Uh, but I knew there was more to it than just going in, preaching a sermon, having an altar time, and then walking out the door. Sure. So in 1986, uh, God blessed my wife, Cindy, and I to come to Fort Worth, which is the city I grew up in. Uh, I didn't really think I'd ever come back to Fort Worth. Uh, and, and we were voted in to pastor what at that time was called Christ church. It was the old first assembly of Fort Worth. Okay. It had, it had been formed back in 1910. Wow. Was an old church with a lot of history and a lot of baggage Hmm. and a lot of debt. And, uh, but we, we, we were blessed to be here It's about 200 people. And uh, we spent 36 and a half years of our life pastoring right here. In fact, uh, we relocated the church in about 2000, and uh, we are literally a mile down the street on the same street that I went to high school. My high school is just down the street from us. And uh, so back in my old neighborhood. And, yeah. uh, but we loved watching people grow. Our, hmm. our, that's our hearts. That's our passion. Uh, we love pastoring, shepherding people. In 36 and a half years, you get to, you get to marry people baptize, you know, dedicate their kids, yeah. uh, get to marry their kids and baptize their grandkids. You know, and, <laughs> uh, so, Yeah. It's, it's that there, there is something to be said about making that long-term commitment. Yeah. No, it's, it's uh, pastor. What are maybe one or two lessons you learned? Uh, maybe the hard way, you know, we normally start the podcast with some of the hard lessons we've learned. Cause I think we, we identify with people that say, Hey, I learned this kind of the hard way. Is there a lesson or two, maybe you think about leading people or pastoring or being a role of spiritual leadership? Um, yeah, that you can think of maybe you learned the hard way. Oh, wow. Uh, I guess one of the one of the lessons that I've I've learned really the hard way is that most people don't like change, hmm. even good change. Hmm. Uh, learning to navigate that through the years, yeah. uh, you cannot grow without change. Hmm. And and I don't I believe that anything that is healthy is supposed to grow. Yeah, anything that's healthy, a church that's healthy, a person that's healthy, you ought to be growing, and growing is all creates some uncomfortableness, sure. creates some awkwardness. There's some uncertainty. Uh, when you change something, it, it, man, you, I am shocked at people who go like, you know, they know mentally. Yeah. This is a good thing we got to do. Yeah. But they're like, like yeah. And so I used to say, I remember John Maxwell years ago saying the only people who like change are wet babies. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And you know what I discovered was even wet babies. <laughs> it may stink and it may be messy, but it's right. their mess, and uh, they've got used to the mess. Yeah, and the mess is easier to deal with than the unknown. Yeah, it's good. It's true. So uh, it's change, true. Change and yeah. and in that same vein, I guess what I learned was uh, the leader has to grow before their organization can grow. Hmm. If I'm not growing, if I'm not changing, then I can't lead my congregation to grow or to change. I can't lead my ministry. And hmm. that works whether I'm a pastor or a missionary. Yeah. Worst position to ever be in is to get so comfortable 
who with who I am and where I am and what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think the church world ministry in in period is probably the easiest profession on the planet to just hit redo hmm. and just keep doing what I've always done and never stepping back and going, okay, is that the most perfect, you know, is that the most productive way to do it? Yeah. It's good. So, it's good good you know, word. We, good word. The building I'm set, the building I'm sitting in today, we moved in a little over 20 years ago. And you know, I, I was thinking the other day about it. When we moved in, we built a big old choir loft for 75 people. We had a orchestra pit for 50, you know. Uh we sat on the platform on these thrones off to the sure. side. Uh we wore three-piece suits and ties. Uh, uh had a big old podium we preached behind. Yeah. If I was still doing that today, I would build I would not be relevant to my community. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It's amazing how much has changed in 20, in 20 years. I mean, I remember our commissioning service um, when we were going out as missionaries. You're right. It was choir robes. It was the whole it was the whole deal. And um, and in 20 years, yeah, 21 years, that is there's been a major, major shift and uh, a major shift. Just who knows what the next 20 years has has in store for for sure. For <laughs> sure. So you you mentioned um, when you were introducing yourself that you've been kind of through a, a leadership transition um, in the in the last few years. So how did you you talked about growing and learning how did you spiritually discern or how were you hearing God's voice when you were, yeah, just thinking and praying about this transition that you've been walking through? You know, I'm, I'm one of those guys who, who love to plan, hmm. uh, love to dream. Uh, oh. I'm, uh, I have to, I have to intentionally bring people into my life to help balance my dreams. Hmm. So I have a good friend who's an attorney locally known him since he was in high school. I watched him pitch baseball when he was in high school. He's a, he's a very successful attorney in the area. And so with an attorney mind, he always thinks of what's the worst case scenario that could happen with this. Sure. So as I dream, I go to kite and bounce him off of kite. And then he kind of, I know kite, I trust kite. He loves me. He, he loves the church. He, so, so I can bounce off of him. But in this dreaming stage, years ago, even, you know, I'm talking, Cindy and I have almost been married 40 years now. So when we were dating, hmm. I had a piece of paper where I gave her my dreams. Hmm. I was a single evangelist at the time. And I says, dream number one is I want to be married. I want to have a family. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pastor a church. It's going to be a missions church. It's going to, you know, we're going to send missionaries. We're going to give money to missions. Uh, and then in the latter part of my ministry, I'm going to, I believe God's called me to invest what I learn sure. in the next generation. I want to be a huge eater yeah. for the future pastors that are going to come up. Hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to train them just because I read a book. Yeah. I want to, I want to experience everything I can be as successful, however you define that as I can as a pastor and then be able to pour into the next generation. So I'm, I'm about to turn 67 this month. Okay. So about five years ago, about I guess it was seven years ago when I turned 60, a wonderful friend of mine said, Hey, what's your transition plan? When's your Hmm. next step? Hmm. And I was thinking at that time, 
that uh, at about 70, I would make the transition to the next thing. And as I talked over with my wife about it, we prayed about it, a couple of things happened. Number one, I couldn't find any role model of a 70-year-old pastor who was pastoring a growing church. Wow. And so it's like I began to look at my own self and realize once you hit a certain level of kind of success, once again, you get comfortable. Yeah. And I thought, okay, God, maybe it's time to start thinking that, you know, while we're still healthy, while we still got some energy and our wits, maybe it is time. So we went into a season of prayer. And out of that, at uh, about uh, three and a half years ago or so, we began to talk real seriously about when's the right time to make that change. Yeah. And uh, what would it look like? And began to talk to the leadership of the church about the potential of that. And uh, it became kind of obvious to us who the next person was for here. Mm. Uh, And so sat down with him and I made a list of things that I wanted to accomplish. And then I asked him, what would you like for me to accomplish before I leave so that I can use my equity for you? Yeah. Um, And and a couple of things that I learned, uh, you don't have to figure out everything to make the next step. Hmm. I've, I've worked now with several ministers who are pastors who are trying to figure out what the next 20 years of their life is going to look like if they step out of where they are. And I just said, you know, that's not the way faith works. Hmm. You go to God and you say, okay, God, what do you want me to do next? And you figure that step. And then the big thing for me and the big thing for most of the pastors that I've worked with, because now I've worked with several pastors who are transitioning is to set a date. Okay. To say, okay, God, I think you want me to start doing this in my next journey of life. When do you want me to do that? And then you set that date and you start working toward the date. Yeah. Until you set the date, you never get clarity. Wow. And that's with anything. That's with any change you want to bring in your life. Yeah. Until you set a date and say, on this date, I will do this. Yeah. And that, you know, and so that really became the thing. We set a date of August the 28th, 2022. That was going to be our last day. And and then, and that was two years before that. Wow. Two and a half years, probably. Wow. And my wife is a processor. Okay. So she needed the time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For but sure. Me, a lot of times when I think of something, I'm like, let's go do it tomorrow. <laughs> that is not a good way to transition. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many things that you leave undone. Uh, and so it's, I think it's important to give yourself, it, the longer you've been doing something, probably the longer you're going to need to get it, to undo it. Sure. Makes sense. There are exceptions, but yeah. So you kind of go, okay, you know, how do I, how do I make that next step? And yeah. so. 
just want to pause for 30 seconds in the middle of this episode to share some exciting news about the book I published, A Caring Life, How Each of Us Can Change the Trajectory of an Uncaring World. It's available now on Amazon and audiobook, Kindle, and print form. And the book helps us recognize that our world is moving in a direction of an uncaring life and helps us reorient towards a caring life where those that are in our life feel valued, they feel known, they know that they belong, and they matter. The book, as I said, is is a valuable resource and I believe will help change the trajectory of an uncaring world. It's available now on Amazon. I want to ask you one question, and then I want to ask you another question off what you've been sharing. Um, You shared about using your equity you said, I'm, you know, I'm going to transition and I want to use the equity that I have um, for you, the next leader. Can you just unpack that and, you know, the importance of that is you, you shared you were a leader yeah. um, long, for long term there and why it's important for leaders that are transitioning to use their equity for the person that's that's um, following. Okay. I mentioned to you, I'm about to be 67. So I've got a, I got a lot of life stories. <laughs> well, you can, you can, you can, some of your best decisions you ever make are because of some of the worst decisions you make. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I have learned that there's two ways to learn something. You can learn it by personal experience or you can learn it from what somebody else did. Sure. So it, it it's less, it's less painful if you learn from others. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So I had a, I had a wonderful pastor locally uh, who was a great man of God and was a great pastor and a great heart. And I won't mention his name, but you know, he, he grew a church. He planted a church and grew that church in its heyday to 12, 1300 people average weekend, just powerful local congregation of people. Uh, and then he just wrote it down. I mean, uh, it wrote it down to a church of like two to 300. Yeah. And just wouldn't leave. Yeah. And I remember he and I had several conversations about it. And uh, he said, well, you know, one of the things we really need to do is the church is the church needs to move. Hmm. We've been in the same location for X number of years and the community has changed. And he said, none of the people who attend the church even live close to the church. They all drive uh, uh, 15 to 20 miles to get to where the church is. And he said, I should have moved years ago. I started the process and there were some people who kind of bulked. And so he said, I decided I just don't wait and let the next guy do that. Yeah. Uh, which the next guy was his son-in-law. Yeah. Who followed him. And, uh, and, and, and the son-in-law who was someone that I worked with him that I knew and, and helped him through the transition. It was hell on earth. I mean, hmm. because here he is coming in the new guy the first thing that he had to do was to fire his brother-in-law because uh, when the church was 1200, they, they hired multiple staff members and continued to pay them as the church shrunk. And now he had to come in and make the hard decision of we've got to start living within our means and we're running out of money and we're out of money and we need to relocate. So he had to fire half the staff, including his own brother-in-law and then he had to sell the property, move into a temporary facility and for several years before he eventually now has bought property, built a building. And, but it took him a long time to do that. I'm sure. Whereas if the guy who was there 
had used his equity to say, hey, folks, I know we need to do this. You know we need to do this. Let's do it. Yeah. It would have been his legacy would have been that he was the one who took the equity that he had to make the change. Yeah. And move the church. Yeah. Uh, and so I learned from that and I said, okay, what should I do that I haven't done yet? Hmm. I looked at staff and I says, okay, what staff changes need to be made? Yeah. And because staff changes are never fun yeah. for anybody. So I, I, I sat down with the person who was coming in who happened to be my youngest son and said, okay, let's talk about each of the staff people and let's figure out who, who, who ought to stay, who ought to leave. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll make those calls. Uh, you know, we, we did things like we updated our constitution and bylaws. We got our paperwork all in order. Yeah. Uh, even changed the name of the church during hmm. the process. Something that I should have done years ago because the name that we had Christ church was very confusing. There's a yeah. Alta Mesa church of Christ just around, just down the street from us, a quarter mile. There's a Christ church, United Methodist two miles down the street from us. There's a Christ chapel. The other way people never could distinguish us from anyone else. Yeah. And so it's good. We needed the name to make the yeah. name more with who we were. Sure. Uh, we needed to change some service times yeah. to be more effective there. Uh, so between the transition and COVID, yeah. We were just able to go, okay, well, uh, this is change time. <laughs> so I, think, I, I think that's what you got to do before you leave where you are. Ask yourself what changes need to be made. Yeah. You know, and, and, and make the hard calls because you have the equity. Yeah. That's don't, good. don't, don't, don't make somebody else come in new with no change in their pocket and make the changes. If you've been someplace a long time, you should have a lot of change in your pocket if you've been effective. So use your change. Good. You, know, no, John, that's that's good. You, say, you can't make change until you have change. So once you start being, once, once people look around and realize, wow, because Darius is here, this place is better, this ministry is better, that gives you change. Good. That's good. Like, there's the other the other thing you mentioned was about the idea of what's next, and you you said you've you walk you're walking with some other um, pastors and leaders that are doing that. How did you discern or figure out what's next? And and it, you talked about maybe a process that you went through. Would you share a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, you know. So I was talking with some guys the other day. They were asking the question, okay, when do you start looking at your what's next? And uh, I think everybody should have a next in your life. Uh, it may be five years down the road, 10 years down the road, but you ought to be thinking about what is the next. And, and I think you do that by looking at yourself. What am I really good at? Hmm. What am I passionate about? Yeah. Uh, what gets me excited? Uh, and, 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 and you, you do that. You review your life. I call it the pegs is what I do it. Okay. It's your passions your experiences, your gifts, and your successes. Okay. So that's passions. Let's talk about your passions. What are you passionate about? I'm passionate about healthy pastors and healthy churches, and hmm. I'm passionate about missions. Yeah. So whatever I do is going to involve pastors, churches, and missions. Good. Can't get away from that. that okay. 
In fact, my wife gets tired of it because she says every time you get with guys, you all you want to talk about is either church or missions. You know, <laughs> I'll sit, I'll sit all day long and talk about church, talk about what works in church, what doesn't work in church. You know, what are you doing that's working? If I'm with missionaries, I want to know what are you doing, what's working, what's not working, what's your biggest challenges. Uh, so I, those are things I'm passionate about. What are you passionate about? Because God gives you a passion for what he wants to produce in your life. It's good. So it's good. Passionate. And then your experiences. I don't believe God wastes any experiences. So what have you gone through in your life? The good, the bad, the ugly. Hmm. And what I do on the experiences is I challenge people, sit down and write your life story in book in a, in a seven chapter book. Huh? And, and just, just make this little outline, go, okay, it, divide your life up however you want to, you know, elementary, you know, birth through elementary, junior and high school and college days, young adult days, how, depending on your age, obviously, is sure. going to determine how that comes up. But break your life into seven chapters. And then in each chapter, write down the highs and the lows. What hmm. really good happened in this? phase of my life, what bad happened, what memories do I have? Just bullet points. We're not talking writing chapter, just, you know, four or five bullet points in each age group. And then once you write those bullet points down, give that chapter a title. Hmm. This was my time of growth. This was my sure. time of pain. This was my time of experience, you know, whatever. Everybody that I walked through that began to see the hand of God working hmm. through the timeline of their life. Hmm. Because whatever I'm going through today and whatever I went through 10 years ago is preparing me for tomorrow. That's good. That's good. So, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, no experience is wasted. And often we learn the best lessons through our pain. Yeah. So don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. You know, talk about that time when, you know, your boyfriend dumped you in junior high or high school or whatever. Uh, talk about that time when you felt like God had abandoned you. Sure. Uh, you know, make a bullet point about the time that you struggled with even your faith. Hmm. How did you come out of that? And then realize all of these experiences are really leading me. Well, hey, it's kind of obvious. These experiences have set me up for this. Yeah. So my, my passions, my experiences, and then my gifts and, and the gift section, I think it's important to, uh, to ask four or five people close to you. What do you think I'm good at? What would you say are my top two or three gifts? <laughs> the surprising thing is I have a lot of people who discover that some of the things they think they're good at, nobody else put on the <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, so that's 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 real self-awareness <laughs> like, sure wow yeah i thought i was a, you know i thought i was an awesome dynamic preacher and none of the other <laughs> four people even put that on the list. you know they talked about my passion and my people skills or something but, yeah. so, uh i just to, as an example there what 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 are your real gifts and uh what what do they say a leader's first responsibility is to determine what is what truth is yeah what is 
what is reality. Yeah. Because most of us don't live with reality. We live with our own interpretation of it. It's true. So, uh, what are, what are my gifts? What are my experiences? What are my passions? And then number four, what are my successes? Hmm. If I looked back over my life, by the time I get to that fourth question, okay, I've talked about my passions, my gifts, and I've talked about my experiences. Now, when did I feel successful in life? Hmm. Uh, and, and you know what? Uh, this is interesting for me, Aaron. Uh, for years at our church, I taught our, I don't know, new members class. We call it, we've called it starting point, growth track, firm foundations. In 36 years, you know, it goes through a lot of metamorphosis. <laughs> I'm sure. But, but in the early days, I started, uh, started teaching that on Wednesday nights. And I had other people doing Bible classes that I raised up and, and so my goal was to spend time four weeks uh, back in the early days, believe it or not, I made it a 13 week class. I, wow. That was really dumb. <laughs> so I broke it down from 13 to eight. And then from eight, I got it down to about four. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, the crazy thing about it was I never made people leave. So if, if I had, I had some people who stayed with me for like a year, they just, uh, <laughs> because it was, it was about relationship. Sure. It was about about sharing our vision and our values, uh, our distinctive doctrines, and you know, helping people find their place of ministry. But it was small group. I mean, it was some weeks four people, some weeks I might have twenty four people. Right. That would be a huge group. But man, I tell you what, I got as much energy and as much as excitement of doing that class as I did standing on a pulpit on a platform on Sunday morning and preaching. To hundreds of people, yeah, and I and I began to realize, hey, that make I don't have to I don't have to stand in front of a thousand or ten thousand people to feel successful. Yeah, I can feel successful right now. One of the things that I get really fired up about is my pastors' roundtables, hmm. where I meet with about twelve pastors, and we sit there and I just answer questions and pour into them. Uh, and I'm telling you, I. That's what I define as success. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. How is how have you helped or how has your family helped you as you've navigated this transition? Because when you're in, in spiritual leadership, you're in ministry, your family's involved. Um, and so how have you navigated, you know, you shared about what's next for you, um, but also for your family, your wife, and the rest of your extended family? How have you, how have you processed that? Yeah. So that's a fun one. That's a fun one. (laughs) We're in this stage in the American church where you have a lot of churches who are transitioning from biological dad to biological son or son-in-law. Yeah. And so you've got a family transition in there. And man, there have been a lot of horror stories. Hmm. Somebody told me the other day that our superintendent, Doug Clay, has, has mentioned that he is very concerned about what he sees in some of these uh, father-son or father-son-in-law transitions. Uh, And, and boy, I, I've got some, I've got some close friends who had blow-ups after the transition with their, uh, with their family who they wound up not even talking to each other for years. 
and never getting to see their grandkids. And it was, it was bad. Uh, I've had others that I've navigated through, uh, where the dad and mom were expecting one thing. Yeah. And because they didn't really talk about certain things, the reality was different. Yeah. Dad and mom thought they were transitioning and they were, it, this is the way it was going to go. And so one of the very first things we did was we went started with counseling. Wow. We, uh, my son and my son and daughter-in-law and my wife and I, the four of us, uh, went to see a counselor for over six months. Wow. And this was before we ever announced transition to anybody. Okay. Four of us sat down and we literally, everybody got a chance to lay out anything they wanted to about the family dynamic and how this might impact the family dynamic. Wow. Uh, and it was some tough, awkward conversations. Yeah. Uh, and stuff comes up that you're not even going like, I had no idea you thought that. Yeah. Because let's face it, nobody lives the truth of life. We live with our interpretation of the truth. Yeah, that's good. That's okay, good. so in in any family, you say some things or you did some things. They interpreted this way, but out of the respect or whatever, they never, ever told you, well, I thought you didn't like me because X, Y, Z. And you're going like, oh, that's not what I meant. Yeah. Please forgive me. Help me figure out how to better express that. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, that just brought so much healing and unity. Hmm. Same thing for my wife and I. Hmm. We went through counseling. Yeah. Because we, I, I mentioned earlier, my wife is a processor. It takes her time. Yeah. She needs time. Yeah. And I'm more like gun-ho. Here's my 10 items. One, two, three, four, five. I'm, I'm down to nine. We're ready to roll. <laughs> uh, and she's still up here at one. Yeah. So. And, and I found out for my wife, this is crucial for, for any of the spouses. You not only need to figure out what your next is, but you need to help your spouse figure out what her next is. Hmm. It's good. Uh, because, and so figuring that out, figuring out what are her, what she passionate about, yeah. what are her experiences, what are her gifts, what are her successes, what makes her feel successful? How can I help her? find her next step yeah. where she wakes up in the morning feeling like, okay, man, I'm, I, I, I've got something worthwhile for me. That's good. Uh, That's good. So a lot of intentionality is what I hear. You I, family counseling, you, you and your wife did counseling. Um, and it takes a lot of courage. I would imagine to, to step in and have those conversations and would you, you've done it, you've went through it. Is that something you would recommend to others as they begin, if they're looking at a transition to, to go to Absolutely. a counselor and have an independent or, uh, objective person walk you through some of those conversations? Third party is crucial. Third party counselor. And then also, uh, some sort of a consultant coach or something to help you have some of the conversations that's not just for counseling, but just practical things. The yeah. more I, I discovered conversations with lots of others and reading and research, uh, uh, when you're making a transition, put everything you can in black and white. Hmm. Uh, you know, 
what do, what you expect out of it, what what they expect out of it. Uh, I'll give you a quick illustration. I just met with a pastor a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, he is getting ready in April of this year to transition. And he's turning the church over. The church has already elected his son-in-law and daughter-in-law as the new co-pastors. They're going to be co-pastors in the new church. Well, he had one thought in mind as to what it was going to be like after he turns it over. He was planning to just show up for church the next week, the same, you know, sit yeah. in the same seat that he's always sat in. Yeah. And just to be there in his mind to support them. And the son-in-law is telling me, you know, that he's a little intimidated by his father-in-law and would like to have some time. And so, so I said, you, I said to the pastor going out, Hey, I think you need to broach the subject of a time zone here yeah. that you're going to be vacant. Yeah. You know, for my wife, for Cindy and I, uh, we made the decision with our son that, that we wouldn't be back for a weekend service for four months. Hmm. August 28th was our last service. <clears throat> he told us up front, he would like for us to be here, be at the church for December 24th for the big family Christmas Eve service, which is yeah. traditional at the church. Okay. And so we, that was our first time to walk back in the building Wow. Uh, for a service. And yeah. uh, so I, th those are the kind of things that you need to decide. You need to decide if you're turning over. And I would think in missionary is for missionaries. If a missionary is transitioning and somebody else is coming in, yeah. sit down and the two of you talk about, okay, what do you want our relationship to be like? Yeah. Sometimes the missionary is going to say, Hey, you know, I'd like to be able to have a once a week phone call with you. Other times it's like, you know, give me three months and then maybe I'll call you. Yeah. And you and you have to be, and I guess if we're asking, we have to be okay with the the response. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and not yeah. take it not take it personal. That's right. In fact, when I came uh, a few weeks ago, I came back. Uh, okay, so I was here for December twenty fourth for the Christmas Eve service. I didn't come back until somewhere in January for a Sunday morning service. And when I came in for Sunday morning service, I did not park back by the offices and come in where I was when I, <laughs> when I was a pastor, I didn't go to the green room to say hi to everybody. I walked in through the front door, greeted all the greeters, yeah. went in to find a seat up at the front. Yeah. Uh, you know, I told them that I was coming. I went in to find a seat up at the front and and my son waved me over and says, no, come set up here. Hmm. I did walk up there with the expectation that that's my seat. Yeah. Like, I'll sit here on the second row. Yeah. But when he invited me, then okay. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I've I've asked you a lot of questions I didn't plan on asking you, but uh, one one last one: Is there something that surprised you in this process? Um, something maybe you learned about yourself, or something that surprised you? And then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Definitely, oh, there are always surprises, Aaron. Uh, well, one of the first ones was like, okay, so August 28th was our last Sunday. Uh, like a week or two after that, I was registering for a district ministers event that I was to be at. And as I'm filling out the form online where they have you register, one of the questions was, what area of ministry are you present serving in? And they had this list of youth pastor, children's pastor, associate pastor, lead pastor, other. Hmm. And I'm going like, 
okay, I guess I'm an other now. Wow. And, uh, that was my, that was, that was, that was a shock. That was, uh, that was the first, you know, and when you meet somebody new that you never met before a pastor, Hey, what do you do? I'm a former pastor, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) you know? So self-identity, uh, don't get your identity from a title. Yeah. Get your identity from whom God has you to be and, and know that you're doing what God wants you to be doing. Yeah. And that doesn't always fit into a neat box and and recognizing, you know, there are a lot of questions still. I mean, I'm still not sure what two or three years down the road is going to look like. I know what today is looking like walking by faith. And that's kind of the journey we're supposed to be on. And I think that applies to all of us. We're supposed to be walking by faith. Good word. Darius, it's been an awesome time to spend with you and appreciate your wisdom and insight. Will you pray for us, whatever direction you feel God leading you? Would you just pray for, pray for the audience, um, specifically maybe those for that are going through transition, thinking about transition, that God will just use this to encourage them? Amen. Lord, I, I just thank you today for the promises of your word. I thank you for these amazing men and women of God who are watching this podcast today. I thank you for Dr. Aaron and his heart uh, to bring value to to men and women who are called into your kingdom work. And Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I just claim the promises of your word that when we put you first in our life, you will give us the desires of our heart. And Lord, I believe that that means that you will put within us the proper desires. And then once those proper desires are there, you will help us to fulfill those desires. So I pray for men and women today, Lord, that you will begin to birth within them the passions, the desires of your will for their lives. I pray, God, that they will see that your work for their life is bigger than even what they're doing at this moment. But God, you're wanting to grow them. You're wanting to expand them. You're wanting to constantly be equipping them to be the best person they can be for the task you have for them. Lord, your kingdom is a massive work. And it has a whole lot of different ways of doing it. So God, would you show us our unique part in that process? Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to pull back the the layers that we've kind of covered some things up. Deal with issues that need to be dealt with. Have the conversations that we need to have. And let us move forward for the glory of your kingdom. God, I thank you for that today. I speak that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.